0: I do not fear death. I had been dead for billions and billions of years before I was born, and had not suffered the slightest inconvenience from it. Where were you before you were born? I think it is reasonable to assume that the state before you were born is the same state as after you die. What was before me will happen again after me. What is fire before it is ignited? Fire, once ignited, relies on the elements of heat, fuel, and oxygen to keep itself alight. Once the source of that fuel is gone, the fire ceases to be. This fire, of course, can be reignited at a moment's notice, and provided the conditions are right, the fire shall exist in the same form as the previous flame. As the conditions arise, so it becomes. When the candle goes out, we can always light it again. No distinction need be made between the previous flame and the current flame. We have an inherent understanding that fire is simply fire. Today's flame is not Peter, and tomorrow's flame is not Paul. They are of the one element. In all of the ancient scriptures from which the Bible was compiled, Fire regularly and consistently appears as a symbol of the Creator. The lights on the altar are symbols of the Creator. And as fire and light are identical, so fire was always the symbol of the grand architect. This human experience feels individual. We tend not to regard our substance of life in singular form. A distinction is made from one human life to the next based on the outer shell. Each vessel is seen as a separate manifestation and loses the sense of oneness we may share as a whole. Michael's funny. Stephen's serious. Sarah's cute. We take note of the particular characteristics of the vessel when the vessel is merely the container holding the one ingredient. We weep for one death and celebrate another's as if they were different entities. The way in which we see lives as separate is perhaps illusory. We are all threads of the same rope, and what created us lives inside of us. The powers of creation are held in those things which are created, like Father, like Son. Without black there could be no white, without death there could be no life, and without a you there would be no I. Without a cause for comparison, there is no cause for distinction, and without any distinction, there would be nothing to perceive. All polarities are but two sides of the one, the plus and the minus, the two sides of the same coin. A snapshot of your existence seven years before, and there exists a being not of the same molecules of your current state. Not of entirely the same experiences, and not in the same frame of time. Is this you that existed at that past time, the same you that exists now? As Watts once said, Harvard University has existed for a long time. Oxford for a lot longer. And yet there is no single member of the faculty, not a single student who was there when it first began. And yet, you see, the university goes on. Because what goes on is a pattern, a form of life. This idea of continuity of pattern is the solution which Indian philosophy offers on the matter of the problem of death. The individual, as it were, entity is constantly changing. He does not go on. But the pattern, or the karma, the pattern of action, goes on. Supposing I make two statements. Statement one. After I die, I shall be reborn again as a baby but I shall forget my former life. Statement two. After I die, a baby will be born. Now, I believe that those two statements are saying exactly the same thing. And we know that the second one is true. Babies are always being born. Conscious beings of all kinds are constantly coming into existence after others die. But why would I think that the two statements are really the same statement? Because after all, if you die and your memory comes to an end, and you forget who you were, being reborn again is exactly the equivalent of somebody else being born. Because we have no consciousness of our continuity unless we have memory. If the memory goes, then we might just as well be somebody else. But it seems to me that the fascinating thing about this is, that although a particular set of memories vanish, Death is not the end of consciousness. We see ourselves as individuals, as that is how we appear to be. As spirited beings, each carrying out our own individual consciousness that is separate from the next. But also singular objects, when magnified close enough, become vast empty spaces dotted with sparsely-placed individual atoms appearing not to be a part of a whole at all, but as a system of separate entities interacting. How would you see your whole body from the perspective of one of your cells? Is your cell its own individual entity, independent of who you are? Or is it essentially you, inseparable from the body? Your cells are dying all the time, New cells are being created, yet you live on. Your consciousness remains intact. You are aware that your consciousness cannot be destroyed by the death of a single cell. And at the same time, are you not aware that your individual consciousness is perhaps only a fraction of the overall consciousness of life, the overall consciousness of you? Much like the cells in your body, the humans in this world are going through a constant process of birth and death. And although we may experience this loss on an individual level, essentially, the overall human consciousness continues. Why do we see our body from the perspective of one, and not from the billions of cells that form it? Yet at the same time, see our human existence from the perspective of one person, and not the perspective of all humanity. This in itself seems to be a kind of polarity we are positioned in. Ancient writings and theological texts have alluded to the concept that our body is a holographic representation of the very universe that we live inside of. Why do we see the death of a cell as non-significant, but the death of a human as a loss? Do you see your own existence, your own body, as one being? Or do you see it as an amalgamation of billions of individual tiny cells that make up your whole being? The immortal entity in the human body, as a ray of the creator, is analogous to a ray of sunlight as an individualized manifestation of the sun. Just as the ray becomes individualized in flower and fruit, so the animative ray of the Creator becomes individualized in human flesh, inhabiting the form of flesh as the ego, the spiritual God, the Lord from heaven, as the Bible says, and doing the work of the earth plane which man erroneously thinks that he does. Just another one of the many illusions of creation, and the visible world is full of them. Misunderstood because we are not properly taught, and because we see not what we think we see. We are taught from childhood to believe that we exist as separate objects, standing apart from the Creator. Even the great scientists are as badly fooled as the lowest layman. They think they are the looker, when that looker is actually the Creator for whom they are looking, and declare that he is a myth because they cannot locate him. The Bible definitely states that the human body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the Christians refuse to believe it. That Spirit creates the body, as an instrument for its use, that harmonizes with the environment, and through which to act and function on the earth plane, as the Bible says. And so, when the bold facts are faced and understood, we comprehend the deeper meaning of the Scriptures that God created man in his own image and likeness. In plainer terms, God walks and works on the earth plane in the form of flesh called man. And that explains why man is such a mystery to the scientists and to himself, and why science has never been able to classify him calling him an animal but admitting that he is not. The masters employed many tricks to hide from the exoteric their remarkable knowledge of man and the Creator. Such as the passage that God created man in his own image and likeness. We find the hidden meaning of that message when we realize that God appears on the earth in the midst of his creations in human form. Where would we reasonably expect to find God if not in his work? How could he appear with the fruits of his labor without an instrument that harmonizes with the environment? And what sort of a body could be better adapted to his purpose than the human body? The existence of the Creator is inherent within ourselves, like Father, like Son. More from the writings of Hotama. When we delve deeply, and with understanding, into the meaning of the ideographs of the ancient masters, we discover that the strange symbolism of the zodiacos concealed the mystery of man. The whole schemata of the ideogram was for the purpose of demonstrating and elucidating the relationship existing between the macrocosm and the microcosm, the creator and the created. We should not forget that in all the world, there is only one story told in the ancient scriptures, and that is the story of man. He is the key to the scriptures and to all the symbolism of the masters, and reincarnation was the secret doctrine of the great religions of antiquity, including Brahmanism, the origin of which extends back so far that its beginning is lost in the night of time. Their scriptures are called the Upanishads, and therein it was written. Just as a human being throws off worn-out clothes and puts on new ones, so one who lives in a physical body throws off worn-out frames and enters into something new and bright. In a very old Bible, the Egyptian Bible, it was said that after death, the ego continues on forever projecting itself into one physical embodiment after another. The ancient Greeks said in the Bible that the ego is older than the body. The creative cycle which incarnates in many bodies, dresses and undresses as a garment of contact with the surface world, accumulating all life knowledge gained by experiences on all the surface bodies it has occupied. In fact, the heavenly nature of the relationship between the heavenly bodies and the earth in each epoch of incarnation was not only the point of ancient philosophy but the very core of all the meaning of scripture. When the ancient philosophy of reincarnation was revived in the western world, the general public embraced it enthusiastically because the doctrine was natural and logical. And now that belief is so widespread, that science's late discoveries have shattered its own crude materialism and evolutionary theory. Before you were born, you were not here. Yet from that non-living state, you entered into this current living state. In this instance, we see the non-living state is capable of becoming the living state. This point is of particular importance to those who question if death is the end of existence. It is not, as indicated upon entry from the non-state to the living state. Life precedes death, and death precedes life. This is the eternal cycle of existence. That we came from nothing into something indicates that on return to the non-living form, we will once again make the transition to the living. Just as fire cannot be crushed out, since it will escape round the edges of the body which overwhelms it, just as the air cannot be damaged by lashes and blows, or even cut into, but flows back about the object to which it gives place, similarly, the soul which consists of the subtlest particles cannot be arrested or destroyed inside the body. But, by virtue of its delicate substance, it will rather escape through the very object by which it is being crushed. Just as lightning, no matter how widely it strikes and flashes, makes its return through a narrow opening, so the soul, which is still subtler than fire, has a way of escaping through any part of the body. We therefore come to this question, whether the soul can be immortal. But be sure of this. If the soul survives the body after the body is crushed, the soul can in no wise be crushed out, precisely because it does not perish. For the rule of immortality never admits of exceptions, and nothing can harm that which is everlasting. As expressed in a lecture by Watts, we are like the waves breaking on the ocean. Our lives build from ripples and grow into a large wave that inevitably crashes down back into the ocean, dissolving back into nothing, only for the water to settle and for the next wave to take form. As the wave builds up, we may take note of its stature, its own beauty, appearing as an entity, almost separable from the ocean itself. And finally on climax, the truth of what the wave is, reveals itself as it crashes down, flowing back into the ocean. The wave and the ocean are but one in the same. A continual fluctuation of waves building up, crashing down and dissolving back into the waters. There is no separation between the wave and the ocean. They are of the same, single, substance. We are all different versions of the same being. The life source is the same, and the only differentiation is the shape of the vessel it is contained in. Much like a glass of water will take the form of the glass it resides in. If we reach the conclusion that we are all aspects of the same being, then it may become apparent that it is only you here and no one else. If we are all of the same source, then that source is you. And you alone. These words are yours. These people are you. It is all very much of the One. Your search for the Creator will only lead you to yourself. Like Father, like Son. The essence of the Creator lies inside the source of creation itself. You are not only the one experiencing the world through your eyes. You are the creator of this total experience. A world that exists within your mind's eye. A story or movie is a tool that allows us to see more clearly the universal patterns of truths of human nature and existence. Have you ever considered that when watching a movie there's a dimension in which what you are watching is actually real? Occurring not just as the actors acting out the script, but as a story that is taking place in your mind, the universe. For it is the belief of reality that creates reality. Ancient stories on the origins of life itself have been passed down throughout the ages to teach man the nature of existence. Mythological stories that highlight universal truths of life and man. The allegorical nature was made with the knowledge that reality has less to do with the actual sequence of events that take place, and everything to do with the mind experiencing these stories, thus making them real. If you are watching the movie, then the reality of that world and those characters exist as a reality in your mind. Regardless of whether they were actors carrying out a script, Your mind has created a space in which that story exists, in which that story is real. It is the belief that gives power to conception. When you watch a story on screen, no evidence is given to the real reality of scripts, actors, and directors. You are witnessing a representation. The movie you view is totally dedicated to the story, to the living universe inside the movie. Such knowledge can also be used against man in the form of propaganda to propagate realities into this realm, which are for the benefit of powerful minorities in attempts to take precedence over the whole. Plato, in his theory of forms, expresses that things that exist in reality are merely shadows or representations of universal forms existing in a realm inaccessible to us. A cat grows to be a cat. A human grows to be a human as they are reflecting a preordained form of what a cat or a human is. A human is a representation of the human form. These objects made at the hand of the Creator are strong indications of design. With the exception of minor variation, a human will always follow the course of growth of a human and not deviate to other objects, such as a cat or a dog. The next human will follow the same blueprint. Our human bodies are depicting an essence, a non-physical form of what a human is. The design of a human is inherent and unchanging, much like all other objects and concepts in reality. According to Plato, in this reality, Physical objects are merely the shadows or representations of these original forms. Stories, plays, television shows and movies are the creations of reality that we humans have created. And if we wish to find out about the secrets of our own Creator, then perhaps we should be looking at our own hands of creation. For the secrets of our Creator are revealed in our creations. The things that we are creating give clues as to what created us. Like father, like son. Language has its own limits, as do concepts. It is not guaranteed that the concepts exist to explain the process we are trying to understand here. Much as our eyes and ears only experience a fraction of the color and sound spectrum, our minds too may have its own limit of understanding within this human form. There is perhaps even a limit to thought itself, and thoughts may not necessarily be the best organ to understand existence. You could well argue that the five physical senses will provide more truth and wisdom to what existence is than any concept or thought one may hold in their mind. How can we best perceive this concept of our mortal soul? Consider a movie or a dream. It is a story within your own story, just as your current life is a smaller story within a bigger story. The movie inevitably comes to an end, as does the dream, and as will your life. And then you wake up and continue about your day. You will awaken from this world to see that it was just a movie, just a dream, a smaller world within a much more vast plane that you exist in written in 1935. We can no more fittingly close than by presenting side by side two significant texts, one from Old Egypt's Bible, the Book of the Dead, and the other from the Christian Book, found in Revelation. I ask you to note a strange succession in both passages of the idea of a first life, followed by death, and that again by life restored. The Book of the Dead has this vivid declaration from the lips of the manes, the soul in the body. He hath given me the beautiful Amenta, through which the living pass from death to life. Now let us place beside this the stirring verse from the apocalypse. I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. Life, death, and life again. Here are two ancient graphs outlining our descent from a former place of life to a death in order to win life still more abundant. And let us read now with a new intelligence the ecstatic words of St. Paul as they ring out to us from that climatic chapter of the Christian faith, 15 of I Corinthians. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the basis of all wisdom in life is this ray of truth that was darkened under a cloud of human ignorance in the direful third century and is only now discerned again in the full power of its shining. It is the knowledge that man is a soul, Latin soul, the sun, of ineffable and indestructible light, a portion of the one glowing reality in the universe, but implanted as a seed of divinity for a cycle of growth in the dark underworld of death in the animal kingdom. No single sentence is more trenchant for human enlightenment than that statement of Heraclitus. Man is a portion of cosmic fire buried in a body of water and earth. The soul in man has entered the kingdom of mortality that it may live again and live forever. The eternal aspects of patterns are ever-present in our existence. The fractal patterns in nature, such as the Lichtenberg figure, or the Koch snowflake. The cycle of birth and death. The constant flow of water. The eternal quality of fire. The continuous patterns on an animal's coat, such as a leopard's spots. The patterns of a flower. Even patterns of behavior. As the saying goes, history repeats itself. We will find no start point and no end point to all of these repeating elements. In this way, there is no start point and end point to your own existence. It always was and will always be. You are the looker from the Creator. And that which looks, has always looked, will always look. The eye of the Creator. You, the looker, are of the eternal substance not operating as finite entities, but as continual waves. The world gives us more than sufficient evidence of what we are. It shows us the continual nature of our own existence. That death is not the end, but a process in the cycle. We are the force of electricity in the light globe. And the destruction of the light globe does not end the existence of the electricity. This universe of form is a universe of integration, disintegration, and reintegration. All form integrates through that contractive, gravitative state of motion which has the apparent power of attracting particles in motion into closer proximity to each other. Disintegrates through that expansive, repulsive, radiative state which has the apparent power of separating particles in motion and reintegrates through a union of both forces by regenerative impact in inertia. The cosmic cycle proves life is eternal. Man dies not. Death is the word used to indicate the change. Under the law of the cosmic cycle, invisible vapor becomes visible ice, and ice returns to vapor. There is no end. Cosmic processes work in cycles, and all things are eternal. Under the law, we become visible as spirit envelopes itself in a mantle of matter called man, and we become invisible again when spirit withdraws from that physical form, while the form disintegrates and returns to the cosmic reservoir of all things. We come to understand things through observation of patterns. We gain knowledge from patterns. We deepen intuition from the understanding of patterns. Come to terms with the reality of your existence. It is not a big secret. Observe the course of nature and you will know. Everything that ever existed and will ever exist is inside of you. You reading this and me writing this are but one and the same. This is but a conversation with yourself. Each life lived is a single brick being paved into an infinite cosmic creation of you. Death is merely the transition from one brick to the next. You experience it all, one brick at a time, and will always experience it. When the time comes, let it come. Embrace life with open arms, and in death, do the same. When mourning the life of someone close, realize this. They are not suffering now, only you are. You are mourning in pain, yet they do not feel. Death is only seen from your own eyes. Remember, your perception of your loved one's passing is experienced from your perspective, not from theirs. From your perspective, only you exist in your internal world and everyone else, including your loved one, exists in your external world. And the experience of death is not something they have undergone, for they were not present on death's arrival. As Epicurus said, Death does not concern us, because as long as we exist, death is not here. And when it does come, we no longer exist. Instead of using their death to mourn your loss, use their death to celebrate their life. They did many wonderful things with their time, and your fond memories are testament to that. Enjoy what great memories you have of them and everything you have learned from them. Perhaps it is natural to mourn after a loved one departs, and this too is a part of nature but a measured response would be wisely considered. Remember that being too sensitive to unhappiness is also being insensitive to happiness. As Xenophon stated, Excess of grief for the dead is madness, for it is an injury to the living, and the dead know it not. Death is a progression, a graduation from life. They have come here to do what they needed to do. Perhaps their departure was earlier than you had anticipated. But their job here is done, and they have returned to the Earth. Death is a time to celebrate their life, and not get too wrapped up in where they have gone. Don't worry, you shall return there too yourself someday. Perhaps even sooner than you might expect. Your loved ones came here to do the work they were supposed to do. Their job has been completed, and they have been released from life's grip. Yet you remain here as your work is not yet finished. You still have more work to carry on. That is why you are here, and that is what you will do. Consider the death of your loved one. So much of their personality, their words, their thoughts, and soul have been deeply imprinted into you, into your very being. You have absorbed a big part of their very existence. Your life keeps a part of them alive within you. And as we all come from the same source, it is accurate to say that a part of them has become you. They are inside of your cells, inside of your being. Their presence is ever-present within you and that is more than enough. You are never alone. The ultimate secret you will find upon death is that all along you were merely having a conversation with yourself. All of these characters are you. The lives of those loved ones and everyone else were you. It was you living those lives all along. Perhaps in different time frames and dimensions for you to realize. But it was you all along. They acted exactly how you would have acted given the circumstances they were in. Nothing is regrettable. Everything went and is going to plan. So let it go and know that things are unfolding perfectly. The ones around you that pass away were meant to pass just as you are one day scheduled to die. Look forward to this day no need to prolong or induce its date prematurely. It will arrive at the perfect time as it always does, and as it always will. This is a natural process. Understand this and don't hold on to life so tightly. Death is not something to be feared. It is the process of returning to the earth, going back to where you came from. With the experience you have gained, As some say, it is simply going home. Everything that unfolds in this life, unfolds exactly as it was intended. And this is the course of life you must adhere to. You must accept wholeheartedly that this is a part of the natural cycle of existence. The death of fire is the birth of air. And the death of air is the birth of water. For it is death to souls to become water, and death to water to become earth. But water comes from earth, and from water soul. Cold things become warm, and what is warm cools, what is wet dries, and the parched is moistened. And it is the same thing in us that is quick and dead, awake and asleep, young and old. The former are shifted, and become the latter. And the latter, in turn, are shifted, and become the former. Embrace change as it occurs. Do not shy away from it. Death is a release from, and an end of all pains. Beyond it our sufferings cannot extend. It restores us to the peaceful rest in which we lay before we were born. If anyone pities the dead, he ought also to pity those who have not been born. Death is neither a good nor a bad thing, for that alone which is something can be a good or a bad thing. But that which is nothing, and reduces all things to nothing, does not hand us over to either fortune, because good and bad require some material to work upon. Fortune cannot take a hold of that which nature has let go, nor can a man be unhappy if he is nothing. If there was no such thing as death, there would be no such thing as life. Death is a necessary part of life, and before you embark on this journey through death, you may have to experience loved ones taking this journey before you. Prepare yourself for this, Understand that it is something you will someday undergo. There is little benefit to go on about your days oblivious to the knowledge that death shall someday pay you and your loved ones a visit. What does it feel like after you die? You can experience that feeling now for yourself. Let's think of a famous person that we all know who has passed on Albert Einstein. Now he is of the very same source you are of. What if I were to tell you that you were once him? And now that he is gone, you are you. But where are your first-hand memories of this life? There should be none. Where are your late-night conversations with your wife, Maliva? None. The study room in which you spent many of your waking hours working in. No memories. These memories they are gone. How does that feel to you now? Perhaps much like nothing. Do you feel now that you have lost something, having lived Einstein's life, but with no first-hand memory of it? Up until this moment, I will venture to guess you have not considered this thought before. But this is the experience of after death, and will be the same for your body when it crosses over. The experience of non-experience, It is not a loss. All of the lives that have ever lived and died came from the source that you are the source of now. And this source is one. It is indivisible. It is you. You are living and have lived all versions of all lives that have ever lived and will go on living. Your body is only a vehicle that you at one point entered and will someday leave. Understand this, and you can have a good death. In a letter to Menesius, Epicurus writes, Accustom yourself to believe that death is nothing to us. For good and evil imply awareness, and death is the privation of all awareness. Therefore, a right understanding that death is nothing to us makes the mortality of life enjoyable. Not by adding to life an unlimited time, but by taking away the yearning after immortality. For life has no terror. For those who thoroughly apprehend that there are no terrors for them in ceasing to live. Foolish, therefore, is the person who says that he fears death. Not because it will pain when it comes, but because it pains in the prospect. Whatever causes no annoyance when it is present, causes only a groundless pain in the expectation. Death, therefore, the most awful of evils, is nothing to us. Seeing that, when we are, death is not come, and when death is come, we are not. It is nothing. Then, either to the living or to the dead, for with the living, It is not, and the dead exist no longer. But in the world, at one time, people shun death as the greatest of all evils, and at another time, choose it as a respite from the evils in life. The wise person does not depreciate life, nor does he fear the cessation of life. The thought of life is no offence to him, nor is the cessation of life regarded as an evil. And even as people choose of food, not merely and simply, the larger portion, but the more pleasant, so the wise seek to enjoy the time which is most pleasant, and not merely that which is longest. And he who admonishes the young to live well, and the old to make a good end, speaks foolishly, not merely because of the desirability of life, but because the same exercise at one teaches to live well and to die well. Much worse is he who says that it were good not to be born, but when once one is born, to pass with all speed through the gates of Hades. For if he truly believes this, why does he not depart from life? It were easy for him to do so, if once he were firmly convinced If he speaks only in mockery, his words are foolishness, for those who hear, believe him not. The true men of old knew nothing of the love of life, or the hatred of death. Entrance into life occasioned them no joy, exit from it awakened no resistance. They did not forget what their beginnings had been, and they did not inquire into what their end would be for those that are going through the passing of a loved one. None of these words are to tell you not to mourn, not to cry, not to feel sad. If these are the emotions that come to you, then perhaps you need to feel them. But it is precisely at this time that you should see the wider perspective of what life is and come to terms with death as really just another word for change. And change is the rule of life that we must live by, that we must come to terms with. It was a condition of life that we accepted upon entry to this world. The experience of your loved ones and the experience you have of your loved ones are not the same experience. They are two separate entities. Only you experience the death of your loved one. From your loved one's perspective, there is no death to experience. They have merely departed to the next stage the same stage you will transition to soon enough. Enjoy the rest of your time here. Enjoy the experiences you have learned from that special being, for they are a part of you and much of what they are lives through you. Their work is done here and yours is not, so smile and bid them farewell until the next time you meet.